Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? Today, we are going to kind of like pause and break. I'm going to do a couple questions, audience questions, listener questions, and then we're going to shift gears a little bit and go into a new segue of sequence of episodes around a particular topic. All right, so let's go ahead and jump right in. I pulled five questions that were great questions. I thought they're, they're questions that I know a lot of people are struggling with and have the same questions, so answers to them may be helpful. So let's talk about them. The first of which is when a program, so let's say school of any sort, is talking about, okay, we have some strategies that we want to use. I'm guessing this is pretty much around behavior. And parents agreeing with the strategies we're going to use. So school or whoever thinks, uh, here, here are some ideas of things to fix this problem. And then they want to get parents on board or parents are resistant to being on board. So Okay. The first thing I want to think about is like, well, are your strategies appropriate? Are they grounded in research and science? And you know, is, is that some of the resistance? What's, what's for me, I always think about what's going on on the other end. So why are the parents resistant? What, what about that is resistant? And then I think about, okay, do I even have good rapport with the parents? Do I have a relationship with the parents? Because if someone doesn't trust me, well, of course they're not going to agree to, to something about their child because they don't trust me. So I need to build a relationship with them. So I might even need to step back, back away from the strategies and think, do I need to build a stronger relationship here? Okay. Build the relationship. Hear them. Hear what they think. Hear what they, and even if you don't end up going with it or it's not going to work, just at least hear them and validate them because that's going to diffuse them enough to bring them back down. Then once you've listened and heard and then validated, then you can go into a problem-solving conversation. So you can go something like, I think you were feeling, insert emotion. I was feeling, insert emotion. The problem is, insert problem. Let's come together and let's think of some ideas together. We'll write down a bunch of ideas and then we'll, we'll choose one that we think or choose two or three that we think might be best for this particular happening situation. Then I write them down. We brainstorm, make them up. We choose them together. So you, you're including them in the pot process. We may be the experts as the people coming into the, the meeting or the plan with the ideas. It doesn't mean that those parents don't know their kids better than us. Like They might not have the strategies and they might not have the expertise, but it doesn't mean that they don't have some type of information that can benefit us. So that. And then if there's strategies I feel really strongly about that the parents are maybe not in agreement with. I, I want to just explain the why. I'm not just doing this to do it. Here's the science behind it. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what, here's why, here's what changes with this. 
And then the next step, the final step is, okay, we agree on some strategies, micro steps. Like sometimes the problem is like we make big, massive changes. So if we can take little micro steps, then there might be less resistance to it. So those are the big things. Problem solve, build rapport, show them the science, but not in a way that's like patronizing and then put in, uh, put, put it into action with micro steps. Okay. How do we figure out what is at the root of behavior? I'm so glad someone asked this question because I talk about this all the time. Oh, we just band-aid everything in the, in the United States and maybe other countries too. And I've spent time in other countries, but I haven't worked in great detail with family systems and school systems in other countries. But in the United States, like we are just like, stop the behavior, put something on, the like put, do, put a band-aid on. Like don't actually fix what's causing the behavior. Just get the behavior to stop. No, no, no. Do you know why? Because if you stop the behavior by putting a Band-Aid on, and when I say Band-Aid, I'm, I'm talking about like <laughs> hypothetical Band-Aid. That behavior is just going to manifest itself in another way. If a child's trying to act controlling in a certain way, in a certain thing, and you get them to stop being so controlling, you know that that control is going to transfer over to somewhere else? Of course it's going to transfer over to someone else or something else because we didn't get to the root of, of the problem, which is control comes from lack of control. So if they have a lack of control at home or the community or in the school classroom, of course, they're going to seek control because their life feels out of control, natural. So the, the deeper need there is what, where is the loss of control? And if I don't know that, that's fine. But how can I give them a sense of control? Because we all want that as <laughs> human beings. Okay. So getting to the root of behavior, five things. There are almost always five things at the root, at the root of challenging behavior. Number one, it's typically lack of skills and emotional regulation. This is just a dysregulation. Like 18 month old, this is a perfect example. His underlying root need of behavior is sometimes around like not getting what he wants and, and things like that. But uh, underneath it all, he doesn't have emotional regulation skills yet. He's learning them. I'm teaching them to him, but he doesn't have them yet. So that's a need of his. That's causing him some emotional distress and that's causing him to act out. When he has the tools and the strategies he needs to act appropriate emotionally, he will hopefully. <laughs> and then we're all human and we all don't act accordingly all the time. Okay. So emotional. Then there's a relational attachment need. So when a child is acting out negatively to get your attention, like, I, man, I see this even with the 18 month old, when I have my phone out too much and I'm not like <laughs> scrolling social, I'm barely on online at all, but it might be like answering messages that are, that I don't want to forget about, or possibly answering an email not appropriate to always have my phone out in front of him. And I don't, but enough that he'll start to act out to get my attention. Like I, I can see it. I'm like, all right, that's my sign. Probably need to put my phone away. Like been on this uh, email um, too long. So what's under it? He's trying to build an attachment bond. He's trying to build a relationship with me. Yes. He's acting out negatively because he knows it will get my attention, even though he doesn't He's not going through that conscious process. It's more of an unconscious, subconscious act. What he wants is my attention. So we will see kids negatively act out and we'll, we'll do something to stop the behavior. But what's under it is they just want human connection. So for me, put my phone down, go give them some human connection or maybe not right in that moment because he was just acting out. So let me like diffuse that a little bit and then later go give him some emotion or give him some emotion, go give him some attention. Or what's what's the best option here is like, okay, if I know I have to be on my phone because I have to like take a call or I have to respond to something, I'm going to put down my phone. I'm going to go give him like a real big dose of attention, like 30 seconds, 90 seconds, th two, three minutes, 
play with him, squeeze him, snuggle him, kiss him, give him a huge dose of attention. And then I'm going to do the task I need to do on my phone. Very unlikely for him to act out on my phone because I just gave him a huge dose of attention. So I go give it to him before he, he essentially like asks for it in a negative way. Okay. So number one, emotional dysregulation is an underlying need. Attachment relationship building. A physical need is the third one. Are they hungry? Are they tired? Are they thirsty? Are they hot? Are they cold? These things all matter. They all affect our ability to think logically and rationally. And when one of those things or all of those things or multiple of those things aren't met, we don't act as normally as we, as people might like us to act. We, we act out of need. Okay. So emotional regulation, attachment relationship, physical control, the need to have a say. And the reason control becomes such an issue is children's lives are so out of control. Parents are working all the time, people on phones, people on devices, um, emotional dysregulation in the home, which then a child's life feels out of control. I mean, there could be lots of things. The pandemic, the pandemic caused a massive loss of control. So many people sought sub subconscious control or conscious, but children naturally do it. They want to feel empowered. They want to feel a sense of power. They want to have their own independence. They, they, at many stages of their development, they're working towards that. So how can we find a way to give kids control instead of just stopping the behavior? Control is number four. The last one is sensory. A child can be under or overstimulated and act out in order to kind of get regulated from the overstimulation or to get more stimulation to also get to regulation. So thinking about how is the sensory orientation of this space? Like if you're in a classroom, like, is it really loud? Is there lots of colors? Is there lots of lights flashing? Like what, what might be affecting their behavior in terms of sensory? And can we change any of that? Can we make it lighter or less bright? Can we reduce the amount of colors? Can we reduce the amount of flashing colorful lights? Can we improve the sound or mask the sound somehow? So typically those are the big five. Emotional regulation, sensory, control, physical need, and uh, relationship attachment, retachment, <laughs> relationship and attachment. That's driving student behavior, child, children's behavior. So if you can figure out which of those five needs is driving it, then you put something in place to meet one of those needs or the need, usually the behavior stops or diminishes or at least decreases. And sometimes it's more than one need area. So you kind of have to address two. But that's what I'd recommend for getting to the root of behavior. All right, finding appropriate strategies that are developmentally appropriate depending on a student. All right, so how do we find behavior-based strategies that are developmentally appropriate based on a student's functioning? One, the first step is, do we know the developmental levels? Like, do we know how they're supposed to be functioning at each age and stage? Like, do you know the ages and stages? I talk about this a lot at the university. Like, what are, like, what's important? What's motivating to children in each age group? What do they care about? And if they're not getting what they care about, that's going to cause issues. And also we can use that to our advantage and not in a bad way. Like no, we're not manipulating them. We're just aligning to them. So know the developmental levels, ages and stages, know what motivates them at each age group and, and for each individual. Cause even inside of like, there are some big, like I'm trying to think like uh, preschool age group. Although they don't outwardly say this, a huge part of what comes up uh, biologically in that age and stage is belonging. They want a sense of belonging. They are starting to develop like friendships, like true core friendships. It's a huge part of that developmental stage. 
Okay. So if we know that, how can we use that to design strategies or design help? Like maybe part of the reason why a child's acting out is because they feel outcasted. They feel like they keep getting sent out of the room and they're not able to develop those senses of belonging. So they don't feel like they're a part of the classroom. So they're doing things disruptive to get out. Most people say it's escape behavior. Like you're just trying to escape the activity. No, no, they're not. They're actually just trying to build relationship and they're just trying to, to, emotionally regulate to the best of their ability. It's not going real well. And as a result of it, they lose the relationship because they keep getting booted from the room. So find out what is motivating at each age group, but also find out what's motivating to each individual because each individual student also has things that are motivating and demotivating. And then think about, okay, well, one thing really worked. Well, they need more than one thing. They need a toolbox. I talk about creating a toolbox of tools to use. Different days call for different tools. Sometimes we get tired of the same tool. So we want different tools. So some things that worked yesterday don't work today. Don't work a couple weeks from now. So work through a bunch of different tools as well so they can pull out the one they need when they need it. Some choice, some autonomy, some power. How do we deal with children that will not engage? This kind of relates to the point I just made about children escaping, but... For me, I'm thinking about like, why won't they engage? I'm always thinking about the other end of the spectrum. What is keeping them from engaging? I can tell you having watched a lot of classrooms and I, I'm guilty of this too. There were days where I was tired or I wasn't having it or I was early in my career and I wasn't comfortable. But in order to engage children, you have to be engaging. And there are some rooms where I'm like, you know, you're complaining about engagement, but frankly, you're a little hard to... <laughs> to follow. Like you're not super engaging. I would never say to someone that I would, <laughs> I would coach them to arrive at their own conclusion. But the, the reality is like, is the person just not engaging? Like is the reason that people aren't engaged because the person is not engaging. And even as an adult who now works with a lot of adults, there are days where I'm not as engaging as I would like to be. And I got to like pause and be like, wow, I need it like a second or we need to do something different. So what are you doing? Are you engaging yourself? The second thing is, if they're not engaging, it's like an individual and maybe you're not like around a particular activity, problem solve. Same problem solving steps I went through earlier. You felt, I felt, problem solution. Let's figure out why they're not engaging and then give them some help and support and include them in that process to, to solve the problem. <laughs> and the last thing I would say is, man, we, we are stagnant in education. We sit in chairs and we don't move or we sit on the floor. We just don't move enough. So how can you make it more active? How can you integrate movement? There's got to be movement that's going to immediately get blood flowing, that gets oxygen to the brain. When oxygen to the brain, we think more clearly and we're more engaged. That's an easy one. Get kids moving. And then also add humor. Humor is something that really is, is engaging for almost everyone. Like everyone likes to laugh. Everyone likes to hear something funny. So can you find ways that feel aligned to you to be humorous? Because what's hard for me. I'm not a, I'm not a naturally, I don't believe to be, believe myself to be a naturally humorous person with kids, maybe more so, but like with adults, man, it took me a long time to learn how to be funny when I was presenting and make jokes. And the last question is what do we do about responding in the moment? Like behaviors are happening. Things are out of control. It's a little bit chaotic. What do I do? The first thing is like, don't just respond. Don't just jump in. Kids have to connect before you can redirect. So the first thing we've got to do, there's a, um, a podcast episode and blog post I wrote and, and spoke about this like barking dog wise owl concept of your emotional brain where like when you get elevated or triggered, your we could say your dog barks, your your, your uh, emotional system kind of flares up and the dog starts to bark. 
and then your wise owl, your thinking brain, so the part of your brain that's logic, rationality, it kind of goes offline, it disappears. So we say like the, the barking dog scared away the wise owl. The first step when responding in the moment is get the dog to stop barking. You've got to do something with the child or around the child to get them to get to a more regulated state. So typically my first step is just modeling regulation. 18 month old, throwing himself on the floor, tantrums, like it's pretty natural for that age group. My first step isn't to like, no, stop, like pick him up. No, it's it's to co-regulate with him. It's to do the things I want him to learn to do. So I put my hand on my chest and I just take big, huge breaths. I don't ask him to do it. I don't force him to do it. All I do is just stand there and regulate myself in front of him so he can learn to regulate with me. Or I've taught him to like pretend to squeeze lemons. I've taught him to pretend to squish cheese. Like there are a couple of different things that we've been working on, but these things all calm the barking dog. Okay, we get him regulated. Now, now I can respond. Now I can redirect because it's regulated. When someone is dysregulated, when their dog is barking, and this goes for adults too, there's a point at which like the communication parts of their brain just shut off, but they're so emotionally elevated. They can't even process the language. So we go in there all responsive and they can't hear us. They can't process the language and they definitely can't communicate back. So avoiding that until we get more regulated, then you can use communication. And on top of all of it, when a child is dysregulated, they're overstimulated. They're trying to get back to a lower level of stimulation. Language is stimulating. So we go over there and we just start talking and redirecting and putting demands on them or, you know, what, correcting them. You're stimulating them more when they're already in an overstimulated state. So it's not helping. So pause first, calm the barking dog, wait on the communication because we don't want to continue to stimulate them. And that takes us to today's listener question, which is... Nope, we're not doing today's listener question because I just did five today's listener questions. <laughs> we are going to do the try it at home tip, which is what is your body telling you? It happened today. I was literally sitting across from someone and he said, um, like in his diaphragm, chest cavity area, he's like, sometimes like Lauren, you just like get this feeling where it's like really tense and tight in this area of your body. And I'm like, yeah, that's your body telling you to like, take a break, stop, slow down. That, that's your body's sign to you before it gets worse. Cause what happens if you don't listen to that? Lots of unpleasant things. So my tip for you is listen to what your body is telling you when your body has aches and pains or, you know, things like migraines and stomach aches, your body's communicating with you. It's telling you something's not right. Maybe it's because of something you ate. Maybe it's because of the atmospheric pressure, or maybe it's because you got a lot of stress and anxiety in your life and you got to work on that. So check in with your body, listen to what it's telling you. That's it for today's episode of Returning to Us Podcast. Don't forget to try it at home tip to check in with your body. And everything I just spoke about above, there's a podcast episode on almost every single question. So go back and listen to some of those episodes to get more information and get some more clarity. And um, if you are looking for some more support in the area of stress, trauma, or behavior, I would love to be part of that coaching journey. Behavior Hub offers a range of supports, mostly around coaching, but some online courses as well with university credit. But I work a lot with families and coach them through behavior response and, and better alternatives than what we've currently been using. So if you're interested in learning more, happy to have an initial call with you to discover where we're at. You can either text me 717-693-7744, or you can go to the Behavior Hub website and send me a message through there. 
And if you're looking for more support, like around trauma, burnout, prevention, or at the organizational level, we've worked with a lot of organizations like Head Starts and Child Advocacies and Medical Field. Five Ives. My business partner, Jessica Doring, and I work a lot with trauma-informed care, aware care, aka stress management, and burnout prevention. So five Ives, F-I-V-E-I-V-E-S.com has all the information you need for that. All right, that's all I'm going to speak about. Don't forget to apply what you learned today by sharing it with someone else, talking about it with someone else, or trying it right away. Until next episode, I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thank you for joining me.